we got that one covered. Acts 2, 14 to 38. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days, it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know, this man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death, because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will live in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One experience corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Fellow Israelites, I may say to you confidently of our ancestor David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would put one of his descendants on his throne. Foreseeing this, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, saying, He was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh experience corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that all of us are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you, have, that you both see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty 
that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Seated. Let's pray as we begin this morning. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we uh, continue in our study of Peter the Apostle. Uh, We've been studying Peter all the way through Uh, The winter months into Easter Sunday, and we just decided we're going to keep going uh, in the book of Acts, in uh, narratives of Peter in the book of Acts. And we end up today on the narrative of Peter at Pentecost, Peter at Pentecost. Now, for those of you who are sticklers for the church calendar, maybe you felt a little panic as this was being read today. You're like, is it Pentecost Sunday today? I didn't wear red today. Uh, Actually, Pentecost Sunday is in a month from now. You're early. You've got time to plan and prepare for that. Uh, but it is the next narrative that we have uh, in Peter's story in the book of Acts, so that's where we end up today. And we will honor Pentecost Sunday when we, when we get there. Uh, but uh, we hear about Peter's sermon after this uh, amazing thing that happens at Pentecost. Now, I preached on Pentecost on Acts chapter 2 numerous times, but it's almost always about what happened at Pentecost. Uh, which was not read for us. And thank you, James, for reading that long passage. We tried to cut it down, but you can't cut down Peter's sermon, right? You've got to read the whole thing. Um, But he's responding to this amazing thing that happened in Jerusalem, where the disciples are gathered in the upper room, and they're praying, and all of a sudden uh, there's this movement, this rush of of wind. There's there's a, a gift of the Holy Spirit is given to them. There are strange descriptions like tongues of fire that come and rest upon them. And, and there's, there's a, a narrative of different languages being spoken. And, and that movement of the Spirit spills out into the streets of Jerusalem, to, the, to Mount Zion, which is on the south side of the city of Jerusalem, on the, on the steps leading up to the Temple Mount. And, and Peter and the disciples head out, and they find that all the God-fearing Jews that have come from all over the known world are there for this festival of Pentecost, and they too have received the Holy Spirit, and they're speaking in strange languages, and they're able to understand one another as they're speaking in these languages together. And there's confusion, right, amongst the people going, what in the world is going on here? What is happening? And there's a couple smart Alex who go, well, maybe everybody's just kind of drunk. Maybe that's what's happening, right? And that's when Peter stands up, and he says, no, it's too early for that. That is not what's happening. Let me explain to you what's going on. And he preaches a powerful sermon with great effect as the Spirit leads him. I'm going to get to the content of that sermon in just a moment. But uh, first of all, we have to do a definition of terms, which is important as we go into the book of Acts and go any further. Um, You may have noticed that at the end of Peter's sermon, it says that the people were cut to the heart and they turned to Peter and the apostles to ask, what do we do? Peter and the apostles. So uh, what is an apostle? What's an apostle? Um, 
a strange thing sort of happens as we turn from the Gospels to, uh, to the book of Acts, which is those 12 men who were gathered around Jesus, who were called the disciples of Jesus, along with many women who were around them and other people who were following Jesus, they were known in the Gospels as disciples. And then we turn to the book of Acts, and all of a sudden they're not called disciples anymore. More often than not, they're called apostles. So what's the difference? What changed? Well, a disciple is someone who sits at the feet of Jesus, if you're a disciple of Jesus, learns from him. Uh, the best way, I think, to, to talk about uh, discipleship is apprenticeship. It's people who apprentice under Jesus, who desire to become more and more like Jesus. And so they're learning from him so that they can go and be like him. What's an apostle? Well, uh, the word apostle comes from the Greek verb apostolos, which means to send or to be sent. An apostle is someone who is sent, who has a mission, who goes out into the world with a sense of being on mission from God. They're given authority from God to go and do things, and they are sent out into the world. So we see this change from disciple to apostle. Now, something really important for you to know, um, every single apostle is still a disciple. You never graduate from being a disciple. If you thought that's how following Jesus worked, I'm sorry to break it to you, but you get to be a disciple of Jesus for the rest of your life. We never perfect that, right? We always sit at the feet of Jesus and apprentice under him. But not every disciple lives as an apostle. I think there are people who, who love Jesus, who know Jesus, who desire to follow Jesus, who don't have a sense of God sending them out into this world, don't have a sense of being on mission for God which is what an apostle is. And the cool thing about this passage is that we see Peter really live into this idea of being an apostle. He stands up. He seizes this moment. I mean, if there was ever a person who's like, man, this person has a sense that they are on a mission, it's Peter here at Pentecost, right? There are thousands of people gathered, God-fearing Jews from all over the known world. And he seizes this moment and he stands up and he begins to preach to thousands and thousands of people. And he gives this incredible sermon where he draws on the scripture that he would have grown up with as a boy, first from the prophet Joel. By the way, Pentecost was a happy gathering for Jews. Uh, it was a first fruits gathering. If you've read the book of Joel, not a very happy book, kind of an interesting choice uh, for, for Peter to start his sermon with. Um, but he's, he's leaning into Joel's description of the day of the Lord when the spirit of the Lord is going to be poured out and amazing things are going to happen. Portents from, from heaven are going to show up for the people of God and salvation will come near. And then he does a really smart thing too. He appeals to their uh, paragon of faith in the Jewish faith, which is King David. He appeals to King David. He, he quotes two Psalms of King David where he says, hey, um, David, our great king who we, we, who we follow, who we revere, who we emulate in many ways, Actually, if you look back at the, at, at, at the scriptures of David, he foresaw a Messiah who was going to come. And that Messiah's name is Jesus. And Jesus came here to this very city, and he died. He died a death on a cross and was raised to life. And David, throughout his life, looked forward to this Messiah. He knew that his life would come to an end, but he knew that there was someone who was going to come from his line who was going to live forever and offer salvation to all pretty awesome to appeal to David and actually he does a really cool thing uh, because he's on the south side of, of the city of Jerusalem uh, outside the south walls actually David's tomb is on 
the area is in the area of Mount Zion. You can go and visit it. And so he's literally pointing to it going, you can go and visit David's tomb right now. You can go do that. It's right over there. But the one who's causing this to happen is someone whose tomb you can't go visit because he's not there. He's alive. And he offers life to each and every one of us. It's a powerful sermon. And it ends with him doing something that is pretty wild. He basically says, hey, some of you were actually here when this happened. And you were the ones who were shouting, crucify him. And you put him to death. And it's time for you to repent of this and to receive the gift of forgiveness and salvation that comes from Jesus. And what's the response? It says that people were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. You ever had that with a word where you just, it just cuts to the core of who you are? Cut to the heart. And they say, what do we do? How do we respond? And he says, believe, repent, be baptized, and receive the gift of forgiveness. And our text didn't go this far, but it does say that about 3,000 people were added to their number of disciples of Jesus, apostles who were being sent out into the world just because of the movement of the Spirit on that day and Peter's sermon. If there was ever a man on mission who is living into apostleship, it is Peter in this story, right? I think, in many ways... When I, and I teach this to my confirmation students, that Peter and the rest of the apostles in the book of Acts are some of the best cases that we have for the fact that the resurrection of Jesus was a reality. Because there's no way that Peter would have stood up, there's no way that so many of them would have gone to martyrs' deaths if they didn't believe that Jesus truly was raised from the dead and he was who he says he was. Incredible evidence of the resurrection, and it's evidence of a radical change in Peter's life, right? We've studied Peter. Peter's impulsive. He's constantly getting out in front of Jesus. He's saying the wrong things. He responds at the wrong times and, and doesn't respond at the wrong times. He denies Jesus. He runs away from Jesus. And yet here he is, seizing the moment, preaching with boldness, rooted in Scripture, convicting, relying on the Holy Spirit. An amazing transformation for Peter. So as we, as we think about Peter and this apostleship and this, and this sort of paragon of what it means to be an apostle, there's a danger in that too. It's a danger for us to misunderstand sort of what apostleship is and what it means to be on mission for God. I think it's easy to look at that and go, well, that's someone who had like a superpower, right? The spirit came. It was sort of this out-of-body experience. It was this ecstatic experience, and Peter did this incredible thing. And maybe if I had that, I, I would do that too, but... Some people have that and some people just don't, right? Some people have that and some people just don't. But I want to challenge and say, I don't think that that's the model of apostleship that's here in Scripture. I know that as a pastor, I've heard many, many times uh, in, in this church, um, in various places, someone will come and say, uh, if, I'm, if I'm challenging them about ways to serve, if I'm talking about how God might be using them in their lives, they go, well, I, I could never do that, right? I could never get up and talk in front of people. That is not what I do. I could never lead a Bible study. I don't, I don't know scripture well enough. I don't feel super confident in that. Oh, don't ask me to pray out loud, please. Please don't ask me to pray out loud. I'm not, I'm just, I'm, I'm not good. I couldn't serve in that way. I'm not gifted for that. Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't share my faith with my neighbor or my friend if, if that opportunity came because I just, I'm not, I wouldn't know what to say. I can't, I can't, I can't. But I want to note that if there was anybody who had reasons to say I can't on Pentecost Sunday, it would have been Peter. He could have gone, I can't preach in front of thousands of people. 
Do you know who I am? I'm a fisherman. I'm a blue-collar worker who works at night and doesn't talk to anybody. I, ju- I, I, I literally hang out with fish. I, I have smelly clothes. Like, this is not what I do. We don't have any accounts of Peter preaching in front of many, many people in the Gospels. That doesn't happen. This is the first account that we have of that. He's Ostensibly, he's never done anything like this before. He could have easily said, nah, that's, not, that's not me. That's not something I can do. He could certainly say, okay, even if I get up and start talking, I can't, I can't, I'm not a rabbi. I'm not a scribe. I can't speak from scripture. I went to like Jewish yeshiva school. I went to, to school as a child to learn the scriptures, but like that was like, it's been since I was 13. Like I'm not a scribe. I haven't given my life to this. You want me to open up the book of Joel? I'm scared to preach on the book of Joel. Like, and I went to seminary. He's like, you want me to talk about the book of Joel? Jeez, I can't do that. Peter could have easily said, I can't be the one who's going to talk to this group of Jews about how they crucified Jesus. You remember my story, God? Do you remember that I denied Jesus three times? Remember that I ran away while Jesus was dying on the cross? And you want me to stand up and tell these people they're the ones who put him on the cross? I can't do that. But we don't see Peter say, I can't. We don't see Peter say, that's not something I can do. We see him seize that moment, and we see the Spirit work mighty deeds through his willingness to do so. Um, If I could illustrate for you, um, I had a lunch this week with a pastor friend of mine, really cool guy, uh, doing some collaborative ministry stuff together, and just I love, it's always a refreshing time to spend time with him. We met in a cafe in Chicago and got our sandwiches and sat down at our table, and we started talking about ministry and kind of getting into theology and some and some really fun stuff and i realized and i know you know this feeling that the table was like a little wobbly you know that feeling now i don't know what it is uh, you can ask my wife what it is in me but for some reason i'm not like let's move to another table i'm like we can figure this out i don't want to disrupt the conversation that we're in for whatever reason so what i did was i i like put my foot down on the leg of the table you know that trick to kind of stabilize a little bit i'm like well if i can just kind of keep my foot right here that that's fine and so we're talking, and then I realized that every time one of us touches the actual plane of the table, it's still sort of wobbling, and I was even concerned that, like, my drink was going to fall off the table. So I did this thing, you know, this trick where you, you kind of cross your legs and you put your knee up on the plane of the table. <laughs> you know that one? So I've got my foot here on the leg of the table, and I've got my knee on the plane of the table, and I'm kind of holding it together. And, and, and he's talking, and I'm kind of listening, like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm kind of doing these, uh, you know, calisthenics under the table here, engineering under the table to try and make this work. And about 12 minutes into the lunch, he was like, hey, this table's kind of wobbly, huh? And I was like, oh, yeah, I didn't really notice, you know. Um, and so he took a lot of napkins, got down on the floor, stuffed it under the leg, and it wasn't wobbly anymore, right? Um, and I was thinking about this and, and, uh, and pondering this this week. Uh, and I think this is true. I know it's true of me, and my guess is that it's true of, of each of you as well. Um, we desperately try to compensate for our deficiencies, don't we? We desperately try and compensate for the things that we don't perceive that we're good at, that we're not able to do. And what happens in that with with God, I think, is that we end up getting ourselves in a very compromising position as we navigate life, right? A very compromising position where we're constantly compensating for our deficiencies. When what what does God want us to do? Recognize those deficiencies and allow the Spirit to come and take a lot of napkins and, and fill in the gaps of our deficiencies so that we can serve Him. 
Because when we're in this compromised position and we're constantly trying to compensate for our deficiencies, I can't do this, I couldn't do this, what we're ultimately doing is we're not, fo we're not able to focus well, just like I wasn't able to focus in that conversation. We're not able to focus well on what God is saying to us and where God is leading us and how God wants to use us. But Peter at Pentecost offers us a different model. Peter at Pentecost was, if nothing else, available and willing and dependent on the Holy Spirit. So you might think of being an apostle as somebody who has this superpower, who has this perfect sense of what it means to be on mission for God, has this special mission that other people just don't have. But I don't really believe that that's the model in Scripture. What I believe the model in Scripture is, is being aware of our deficiencies and saying, Holy Spirit, I'm willing, I'm available, and I'm dependent upon you. Would you come and would you fill in the gaps that I so clearly have? And would you do your good work? Spirit, would you come and do that? I do not believe that Peter had an out-of-body ecstatic experience when he preached at Pentecost. I don't believe that, that he was just all of a sudden endowed with these incredible powers that he never had before. What I think happened was, as the Spirit began to move in that upper room, he started to go, God, if this is really what's happening, and I remember those words of Jesus from the upper room not long ago, saying that the Spirit is going to come, he's going to provide what I need, I'm open, I'm ready. Nudge me, move me where you want me to go, you know my deficiencies, fill in those deficiencies and do your good work. Do your good work. Um, some of you this morning uh, who have been here for a while are probably uh, maybe a little disarmed and disoriented this morning, uh, partly because I'm preaching where I'm preaching right now. Uh, I don't know if any of you uh, made note of that. Um, most of, I don't think hardly any of you have ever seen me preach not in the pulpit and not with my black notebook, which has a manuscript in it, by the way, of every sermon. Um, I just want to tell you a little why that's happening this week. Uh, so uh, let me walk you through what a normal week is, uh, preaching week is for me. Um, Mondays uh, is when I read. I read everything I can that's in my library, anything I can on the text. I uh, read the original text. I do translation work. I make my own translation of the text. I, I, I get as much information as I possibly can, and I start to just saturate myself with, with as much wisdom as I can from faithful people who have already worked through these texts. And then Tuesday, after staff meeting, I begin to start to organize those things into a little bit of an outline of some kind, maybe three or four points that I want to communicate, um, an outline for the day. And by the end of the day, Tuesday, I've got a sense of sort of where I'm headed. And then I usually take Wednesday off from any sermon prep, at least in the morning. Um, I do other stuff. I do emails and other stuff, and I just pray. And I give a little time and space for God to do some work in my heart. And then Wednesday afternoon or Thursday morning, all the work that I've already done in my head and in my heart, I just sit down and I start typing my manuscript. And it flows out, usually. Uh, it flows out. And I'm done with my sermon, a manuscript of my sermon by 5 o'clock on Thursday. That's a commitment I made to my wife and family about a decade ago that I'd be done on Thursday so that I can Sabbath on Friday we can have a family day on Saturday, and I'm not writing a sermon and preoccupied on a family day. And then Saturday night, as the night is winding down, I'll often pull up my sermon. I'll read it again, make sure I still like it. Uh, Sunday morning, I'll come in. I'll print it off. I'll read it one more time. I do a three-hole punch. I put it in my black notebook. It goes down here on the chair. 
And then when it's time to preach, I pick up my notebook, I walk up to the pulpit, I set it, set it down, and I read it. I read it. That's my, that's my normal rhythm. Uh, and that rhythm went basically to plan this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, where as normal, reading, outlining, getting ready, praying, giving space. And then I had, to, I had to leave town on Wednesday for our central conference annual meeting. It was in the UP of Michigan, very exotic place to go this time of year. Uh, but it was a nice time, but I knew I had time in the hotel, so I was like, hey, Wednesday night, I'll start writing. I've got all Thursday afternoon, I can write then. I've got all Thursday night, I can write. Every single time I sat down, and you know this feeling, like nothing's coming. It's in my head, it's in my heart, but for whatever reason, my fingers, like, I just can't, everything I write, I'm like, nope, that's not it, delete that. Like, nothing is coming out, nothing's coming out. And I'm driving back on Friday about dinner time, and I'm starting like, to get like that twitchy eye thing when you realize you got something to do. And, and, uh, and, and I'm, I'm like, uh, I, got, I, gotta just, I gotta sit down and write this, even if I gotta stay up till two in the morning, I gotta just write this tonight. So Friday night I start, I, I, I start preparing myself to write, and I, I'm not gonna say I heard God, but I felt a nudge just going, no manuscript. Really? No manuscript, God? Yep, no manuscript. Okay. So I sat down and started to do an outline, maybe like a you know, nice two, three-page outline, right? So I know what I'm saying, right? No outline. Really, God? No outline. Yeah, no outline. I want you to practice what, what you're preaching in terms of this text from Acts chapter 2 and being open to the Holy Spirit. And I realized something as I was contemplating that and beginning to go, okay, I guess this is what I'm doing this Sunday. Um, I, the reason that I preach behind the pulpit and that I preach with a manuscript, is that I had a teacher, uh, a preaching professor, homiletics professor in seminary, who shamed me when I moved away from the pulpit and when I moved off my notes. Uh, she's pretty harsh. She's a great teacher, but she's pretty harsh. And she said, I, you should never, ever leave the pulpit. No one should ever see your hands, and you should never, ever leave your script because you're totally distracting. No one's going to be able to hear God's word if you do that. That's why I do that. Now, I fully expect that next time I'm preaching, I'm going to be behind the pulpit again with my notebook. I think that's a good way for me to do things. I think that's a good method for me. But what essentially have I been doing? I've been saying, I can't go off script. I can't move from the pulpit. That's not a way that the Spirit can work and do its work in me. So if nothing else this morning, I don't expect uh, uh, huge uh, you know, reactions being cut to the heart in this sermon, but I do hope that at least it models for you in some way that we subconsciously oftentimes can be operating out of our deficiencies and compensating in crazy ways that put us in compromising positions where we're not able to hear God and respond to the Spirit. Instead, whatever it is in your life, I want you to know that as a follower of Jesus, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, he's also calling you to be sent out in this world be sent out in the world and what is the posture of an apostle is it someone who goes i've got all the gifts i'm going to stand up and do this amazing thing there's no possible way that peter at the end of that pentecost day went back in the upper room and was like i brought three thousand people to christ because of my awesome sermon did that happen no way peter had to be like what just happened i just stood up there and, and i did i hope it was okay i did my best but look at what god did look what the spirit did my friends, the most important decision that you can make as a follower of Jesus Christ, after choosing to follow Jesus Christ, is to wake up every single day and go, God, through your Holy Spirit, what gifts do you need me to have today? Even ones I know I don't have. 
In what ways do you need me to be attentive to the movements of your spirit? In what ways do you want to use me, even if it's totally uncomfortable and outside of my giftings and it's not something that I normally do? I'm available, I'm open, and I'm willing. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're comfortable doing so, I invite you to just open your hands, maybe on your lap, as a sign of openness to God, palms to the sky. Lord, I pray for these, my brothers and sisters, and for me as well, that you would teach us what it means to be available to your spirit, to be willing to go where your spirit leads, and to be dependent on your spirit. Lord, would you impress upon us the ways in which your spirit is nudging, just like you nudged Peter in that, in that moment of confusion, of, of beautiful confusion, you nudged to say, it's time for you to stand and it's time for you to speak, Peter. Would you show us the places where you're nudging us? The conversations that you're nudging us toward? The relationships that you want us to invest in? The ways in which you want us to give and serve? The conversations that you want us to have with neighbors and friends and family? Lord, what might you want to do in our church community through people who say we're willing? We're dependent on you. Lord, I thank you that apostleship, that, that being on mission for you is not contingent on a set of awesome gifts that only a few of us have, but it's based on a willingness to open ourselves up to the, to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, because Holy Spirit, you have all the gifts. You have them all. Any gifts that we have are just a shade of the gifts that we see in you, Holy Spirit, and your Son, Jesus Christ. So would you cause Pentecost to happen over and over again, a filling of your Spirit? And would you cause that, that Pentecost day to happen over and over again where, where faithful people who are disciples say, it's time for me to be an apostle, I'm willing, I'm ready to stand up and to be used by the Spirit. Lord, we pray that all that we do, we might give glory to you, the one who died and is risen and who lives forever, Jesus Christ, our Messiah. Amen. Amen. Please stand.